There were many trains to take the name Orient Express, but only one in space. Good morning, everyone. Your goal is to ascertain the foretold's true nature. Exactly what this sounds like. Isn't this exciting? Conventional weapons have no effect on the foretold. It's immortal, unstoppable, unkillable. The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I'm Kyle Jones, and I want to start this episode by welcoming back Clarence Brown. Mr. Brown, how are you? I am doing great and glad to be back on with you guys to talk about this episode of Doctor Who. Indeed, and also welcoming back none other than Lee Shackelford. Mr. Shackelford, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. As Clarence says, glad to be talking with y'all about the mummy on the Orient Express. Indeed. But before we get into the mummy at the Orient or on the Orient or in the Orient Express, whatever. But before we get into that story, Lee Shackelford, if we have someone listening to us who has never listened to us before, what might you tell them? Well, I would certainly say thank you. Thank you for spending uh, time with us because we know you've got plenty of other things you could be doing. You know, welcome aboard. Indeed, indeed. Well, I want to just go ahead and say off the bat, we have some news. I guess this is not really news because we've already talked about this, but hey, it's news to me because (laughs) I like talking about these two people. And thanks to our friend Nicole, who I, I think we all may have seen this on social media on Facebook, posted about Doctor Who magazine number 579. And Clarence, who might be on the cover of Doctor Who magazine number 579? David Tennant and Catherine Tate. Yay. (laughs) With the, uh, with copy, with the, with letters and big, you know, big letters over their picture that says, but how? So I love the fact that they're acknowledging the, uh, how interesting it is to try to bring Donna back after we were, very definitively finished with her. So we shall Mm. see. We shall see. So I was listening to an episode that just went out as of this recording, or is going out, but it will have been out, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey here, but will have been out as of this recording tonight when we first found out Catherine Tate and David Tennant were were returning. And it was our episode where we talk about the legacy of Star Trek and Doctor Who. And Lee, you specifically said that you wanted it to be set in the existing time frame of Donna and the Tenth Doctor, not a continuation. Do you agree still? Are you still hold tight to that? Or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I want this to be, We want. I want to pick them out of their timeline before the Metacrisis. I think you would have to, or how else would you bring David Tennant back? You know, I think it would be interesting mm. to see where Donna is now, but I think Tennant is locked to that time frame, right? Mm. Maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You could not have done, I could not have done a better segue than that. But let me ask you guys, is it appropriate 
at this point for me to say maybe a spoiler about some pictures that have been out on the internet, or do we even want to talk about those? What do you guys think? Doogie Hauser's and Doctor Who. No, well, not necessarily him. I'm talking about <laughs> bad joke. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Doogie Hauser, DW, instead of MD. Anyway, but about David Tennant, any reservations of me mentioning what I want to mention? No idea. Okay. So for everyone listening, if you have not seen, I'm not going to put the spoiler warning here, but if you have not seen recent episodes or pictures or whatever with David Tennant post his return to Doctor Who, then you may want to fast forward maybe about five minutes, three to five minutes. That said, there are some pictures out of David Tennant in his long coat that is blue. Tenth Doctor did not have a long coat that was blue. He had his blue suit over his brown coat, I mean, under his brown coat, and he had his brown suit under his brown coat. He did not have a blue coat. Thoughts? So do you think we'll be getting parallel universe, uh, David Tennant slash Doctor Who uh, coming back? Doctor Tennant. Yeah, I I think that could be interesting because then you wouldn't have to worry about his age. He would have aged naturally Mm -hmm. as a human in the other universe. And then, then we can meet Donna possibly without breaking a brain in the current timeline. So maybe that's how we bring them together. Mm. Mm. Lee, what do you think? Cause I have Interesting a possibility. Well, you know, he's also got a very, very, very big closet. <laughs> he does. So, you know, and, and I know it's within reason that he may could have worn a blue jacket that we just didn't see. Yes. I get that. Right. But, but here's my thought. I think he's going to be a degeneration. Oh, I, God. I do not think that my my gut tells me that Jodie Whittaker's 13th Doctor will have a degeneration into David Tennant before he then regenerates into Shudi Gatwa. No, no. I, yeah. That's just my thought. Anything's possible, of course. Anything's possible. But what we do know for sure, regardless of anything, is David Tennant, Catherine Tate, whether they're playing Donna Noble or whether they're playing the Doctor or whether they're playing the Doctor and they're playing Donna Noble. It doesn't matter. Catherine Tate, David Tennant, 2023. There you go. I'm happy. Yeah. I am happy. All right, gentlemen, do you have anything else now that I have babbled on for almost 10 minutes? Do you you have anything (laughs) else before we move on to what we're here for tonight? Not I. Let's get this train on the tracks. No. Indeed. Ooh, good one. (laughs) Space tracks. All your (laughs) engines are firing tonight, Clarence. So here we go, gentlemen. For everyone listening, if you have not seen The Mummy on the Orient Express, Put us on pause, go out, watch it, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Affirmative. Spoilers. Spoilers? What spoilers? And I killed Sparky, too. 
The spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review The Mummy on the Orient Express. This was the eighth episode of the 2014 series of Doctor Who, first airing on the 11th of October, 2014. It starred Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor, Jenna Coleman as Clara Oswald, and Samuel Anderson as Danny Pink. Summary view, Clarence Brown, I'll start with you. Summary view, what say you? So first off, I'm struggling to remember if we've reviewed this uh, episode already. Do you we, know if we have or not? We have not. We have not, because I can remember, see, I must just talk to you about it. <laughs> I can remember not liking it very much my first time watching it. But man, I know nothing about the other Orient Express stories at all, period. But I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was, I thought it was very well written. Uh, we get to see Clara, uh, you know, as we have seen throughout this series, go up against the doctor in, in a way that um, very much shows how gruff and how, for lack of better words, mean he is. So I loved Clara up against the doctor. Um, in this episode and just their back and forth was really good. And man, Peter Capaldi just, he, he does a great job acting, but boy, is he mean in this episode? Wow. He's harsh. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought overall the story was really well done, really good. And I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I would have. So yeah. Uh, what about you guys? It's another one of these monster stories where we kind of get to the climax and it's um, anticlimactic because I don't quite follow exactly what happened, you know. It's just, and then, and then, and then the monster goes away. And uh, there's, we, we get a lot of that. The mummy itself is not the most interesting thing uh, in this episode to me. I'm, I'm a lot more interested in the relationship between the Doctor and Clara here, and just the setting because I do uh, love this, um, this time in history that they're trying to evoke with uh, the Orient Express. So that's cool. But you know, I'm kind of, kind of neener about the whole episode as a whole. So as usual, and as always, it seems, I'm going to fall somewhere between the two of you, which is, I enjoyed it, but this is not one of the ones that I look forward to going back and watching again for no particular reason other than the fact that it just doesn't click all the right boxes for me. It's a good story overall, I think. It just, like I said, doesn't click the Kyle boxes, whatever those may be. That said, I want to ask you guys a question about a mummy in general. Why do you think people are afraid of mummies? What about a mummy has a fear element? Lee, why don't you start? I've often wondered about that, actually. Um, sometimes in uh, our horror fiction, mummies are shown as being super having supernatural strength and in fact they are incredibly fragile <laughs> so I, I i've often wondered sort of where that comes from but uh but yeah we 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 really our horror stories uh have always got mummies in them and i i don't quite get it myself i guess it is because they are so obviously dead but they are walking around you know i don't know yeah i think it's just like a general fear of the undead whether it's zombies 
uh, mummies or mm-hmm. whatever. Vampire. <laughs> yeah, vampires. I just think in general we are very terrified of things that should not be walking around that are. So <laughs> I think this is where it stems from. And, you know, from the aspect of storytelling, at least in a visual medium, now I know maybe back in the classic movie era of the 30s and 40s and maybe even into the 50s, you had more of those. But correct me if I'm wrong here, within the last 20 to 30 years, the Mummy series of movies with Brendan Fraser and then The Scorpion King with The Rock and... You know, that that set of movies, to my knowledge, is the only set of mummy movies that have been in recent movie history. Am I correct there? Hmm. I guess I haven't been paying attention. And and that yeah. therefore, you just helped validate my point of them not really being right. that. Because think about how many vampire movies have we seen in the last year or, you know, you yeah. see where I'm going with right. that. Vampires yeah. are everywhere. Well, yeah. well, there was a Tom Cruise mummy movie in 2017 that flopped horrifically Ooh. when they were trying to do their whole monster verse thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that is probably why we haven't been seeing a lot of mummy movies lately. Is if if there's one that's a spectacular flop, then Hollywood retreats as a body. You know, so <laughs> yeah. no, no, yeah, all it takes is one. Yep, look what happened with the the comic book movies after what was it, Batman Forever. And then it was forever, seemingly, before we got another comic book movie. So here was a question that I, keeping on the idea of the mummy, we, I know we had the 66 seconds and the countdown, and I know that the, per, the, the mummy, quote unquote, was feeding off of the energies, but did we ever get a good explanation as to why the victims were chosen and Clarence, why don't you take that one? Uh, as to why they were chosen, uh, well, I think the doctor deduced that it was going in the order of the weakest person, whether it's physically or mentally. Uh, it was choosing them from the weakest to the strongest, I guess. I, that's that's the only thing I gathered from it. I'm not sure that makes a lot of sense. But when you get into uh, what the doctor was explaining this as some myths and some stories are actually real in in one of his little speeches he gave, um, I think it does make some sense to look at some of the myths and stories we're told throughout the years and what if some of those could be real. And uh, do we get a great explanation (laughs) for for why it was picking its victims? Probably not. But. I do like that the idea of these great minds working to try to figure out, you know, what's going on here. I thought all that was good. So segueing off of what you just said there, Lee, what did you think of this revelation that a, it wasn't a, you know, facsimile of the Orient Express and B, it was basically a lab that they were in forced to be in thoughts. Well, it it really was the uh, the outer space Orient Express, though, right? It, it's just the people in it who were either not not real or were being forced to be there, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that that it, it's it's a laboratory and that there's a problem to solve because you know if you know the doctor, then you got to feel like okay, now now that we know that, there's a way out of here because he he will figure it out. 
who then was behind Gus or was who was the bad guy? Because that one was the part that completely washed over me. Did we ever identify who the bad guy was? No. And didn't the doctor say, I think I know who this is? But I don't think we, if he did, I don't think in canon, or at least to my memory, and maybe we will discover this as we continue to watch, but I don't recall it ever being revealed who was behind that. Nope. Yeah, for me, this that was one of my biggest questions. Because on the face of it, I don't think it's a horrible idea to put smart people in a place to try to solve something. Uh-huh. But, you know, forcing people to them to their death, uh, not so not so good. <laughs> but I, I felt like with a few turns of in the way that Gus or this computer, whoever was behind this, was doing things, it could have been a very good thing for society or space, wherever we are in this space and time. But he just chose like the most uh, terrible way to, to yeah. make this, re- this happen. Yeah. <clears throat> Case in point, please terminate your call and return to work. Please terminate your call because I'm going to terminate some people. Mm. Yeah. Because he airlocked several people out mm-hmm. the airlock because the doctor wouldn't get off the phone. Yep. So speaking of the doctor being on the phone, let's talk about Clara for a moment. I'm going to point, of course, back to you, Clarence, for this one to start with. With Clara, we see her and the doctor meeting up what I believe is weeks after the ending where she says, go away, doctor, and don't come back. Thoughts on just those initial scenes, not her decision, but just those initial scenes thoughts oh yeah she was she was furious and i know we all know the phrase it's a thin line between love and hate but she makes this great statement from some singer she you know i guess heard at a concert yeah about why waste your i'm paraphrasing her because i don't remember exactly but why waste your time hating someone well no i'm getting that totally wrong now (laughs) but anyway it was it was to say that if you're wasting your time hating someone, that must mean you really love them, you know. And and she kind of gives that phrase to the doctor, and of course he's a bit oblivious about it. But yeah, I really feel her on that. Most of the times, the reasons we really hate something may be that we care about it in some capacity and have been wronged or in some way. So uh, I did like that statement. I'm look up the quote and say it later, but. Uh, I love that first bit of the episode. Yeah, me too. Um, like I say, my the interactions with the, between Clara and the Doctor are my favorite things about this episode. So. And you know, they get to have this conversation on the Orient Express, and she's in another fabulous dress. Yes. And the singer is uh, singing, of all things, Don't Stop Me Now. Beautiful song. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're accustomed to hearing it at a much... Uh, faster tempo so for a minute it takes you a second to even realize what it is you know without mr freddie mercury but uh mm-hmm. yeah you know a sci-fi show needs to have somebody singing traveling at the speed of light want to make a supersonic woman of you and you know when when i see clara for the first time in this episode i'm remembering our friend shannon saying you could put jenna coleman in any period piece and it would work and once again they put Jenna Coleman in a period piece, and it worked. Yep. What was this, the Roaring Twenties? I, I couldn't quite place it. Yeah, that's that's supposed to be, that's a good time period for 
Murder on the Orient Express. And um, mm. you have the same kinds of characters in it. Yeah, so she's even got uh, the the bobbed hair uh, style hairstyle of the time, which is a little hard to explain, but, <laughs> you know, she's got a time machine, I guess. <laughs> Oh, it was great how they landed in the closet, I guess. And yes. she was like, it's, it's nice. <laughs> and yeah. then it started this domino effect of the lies that permeate throughout the rest of the episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, and I have that quote really quick. Uh, Hatred is too strong an emotion to waste on someone you don't like. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So good. I want to keep on the Clara train here. And let's talk about how... We see her and the doctor throughout this episode. And specifically what I mean by this is, yes, they're in close proximity story-wise, but the two of them are separated for the majority of the episode. Is this where we see Clara for the first time start her metamorphosis into the Clara that she becomes by the end of season nine? And specifically does it give like a character change for her what do you guys think lee why don't you start i think this has been set up and and coming for a long time um the this uh this train has already been on the tracks so uh (laughs) we just hit another we're at another juncture it's all making sense it's it's it makes me think about what we've been saying about yaz recently is that if the showrunner knows that you're going to do a show that is sort of serial and sort of episodic, right? Each, each story has to stand by itself, but through the season, there are going to be changes in the character. Then what this showrunner has done has been building us towards this thing where Clara is doing this approach avoidance with the doctor and with Danny and she's, she's, she's stuck and the doctor is truly infuriating. And and sometimes just awful to her. So we know that something big is coming. Whereas with Yaz, out of the blue blue sky, she's in love with the doctor. You know? We <laughs> yeah. we have we didn't Chibnall didn't lay the groundwork for that, didn't give us hints of it along the way. It just happens all of a sudden and I don't buy it. And so this is this is uh, an example of that being done well and being done right, in my opinion. All right. And not to derail our conversation. <laughs> I, just had, I just had to throw that in there. Sure. But Clarence, what do you think? I uh, agree 100% with Lee. It's just another notch in the belt. Um, I don't feel like she was more doctorish in this episode than she was in the last, but it's been kind of a, a steady progression. Uh, so, yeah, I thought she was really good in this episode, although I feel like she didn't have a lot to do, honestly, for, in my opinion. Mm. That's true. So I agree with both of you, 100%. I agree that I don't think she had a lot to do, but I think what she did do at the end and the particular choice that she made mirrored what the doctor did, and and it just now occurred to me. You know, the doctor takes her, even though he knew something else was going on, he was doing two things at once. He's t- he's investigating something, but also taking her on this trip. Well, she then decides at the end to tell the doctor that, hey, I'm going to continue traveling with you, but chooses to omit to Danny certain information and 
tells the doctor something different. So to me, that's, you know, the pot calling the kettle black, as I've heard before. You know, mm-hmm. it's apples and apples. It's the same thing. Yeah. After her particularly taking the doctor to task for lying. Yeah. Yeah. It it feels like she's learning all the worst things from the doctor in this episode. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Like, oh man, she's lying to Danny and then lied to the doctor. But you know, if you look at it, although we know the doctor did it for a good reason eventually, he he, he gave her a big lie when it was the the woman was the next on the list. I forget her name. Maisie. Yeah, Maisie. Yeah. Tell her I'll it, save her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and not only that, lying, like you said, Cal, lying about the reason they're there in the first place. So, man, she's learning the worst things. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask, and I'm still sticking on this thought of the Doctor and Clara, and specifically with New Who references, 2005 forward. You know, we've had different dynamics, of course, with each companion, but it's interesting with Clara that with the seventh Doctor, I mean, excuse me, with the, where did I get that? With the 11th Doctor, you had this buddy relationship, but also kind of like a little romantic tension-y, but really wasn't there. And then with Clara and at least this eighth series of the 2014 series, we have Clara and the Doctor in this combative relationship. And maybe that's not the right word. If you guys have a better word, let me know. But my question is, why do you think Moffat chose to explore this almost aggressive relationship of dislike between Doctor and Companion that really hadn't, in my memory, been seen before? Lee, what do you think? Oh, I think we have seen it before, but we don't follow it to its logical conclusion. And I think that's what uh, Moffat is up to here. I, you, you remember when we were doing... Um, pyramids of mars that uh i we were struck by this moment where uh, sarah jane is just fed up with the fourth doctor she takes him to task about it she says sometimes i swear you're not she catches herself <laughs> he says human mm. but what he's what he's doing is he's looking at the big picture he's trying to solve the larger problem and she wants him to pay attention to the fact that a man has died right there in front of them yeah you know and and I think in the audience, we can say, well, they're kind of both right. But you can see whether their points of view would, would clash. And so, you know, we, we've had that a lot in some of the best writing in the shows, uh, you, know, you know, from the very beginning. But, but the companions then tend to let it go. So Stimo asks, what if they don't let it go? What if, what if we got a companion who says, no, you can't talk to people like that? Or you can't, you can't do what you just did. That's not right. That's Very I good. Well, uh, I, I totally agree. And I totally agree. And in particular, in this episode, the doctor is just, you know, even even one of the passengers says he has a horrible bedside manner, if I remember correctly. <laughs> but it's, 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 he's, he's looking at the need of the many. He's looking three yeah. steps, 10 steps down the line. Mm-hmm. And he has no tact. Is that the word I'm looking for? He, he has yeah. no grace in the way he, wants to get his point across. And this is just like some of the worst I've seen in this episode. He's really, really bad. Awful. The, maybe was it the first guy that sees the mummy and he knows he's, knows he's fixing to die? The doctor is just unrelenting and very just aggressive with him. It's, it's just, 
you know, that's a, there's a reason we need the companions because man, he can. <laughs> uh, mm. yeah. So I'm going to take it in an alternate direction, not disagreeing with you guys, and actually not really commenting on the character's point of view. But I'm going to speculate on Moffat's point of view and his game plan and writing. And again, this is just mere speculation. But if you go back and just take 2005 forward, you've had Rose and you've had Clara who have been companions of two different incarnations of the Doctor. With Rose, 9 and 10. With Clara, 11 and 12. With Rose and the Doctor between 10, I mean, excuse me, 9 and 10, yes, she had that brief initial pushback of, you you know, it's not him, it's different. And then the next thing you know, it's you're the same person and she's embraced it and the story continues and the story evolves. So there was not that per se. And by Rose being so accepting of the doctor, I mean, David Tennant's wonderful. He, He would have, I think, won the audience anyway. But that in itself helped bring the audience along for the ride. Now, take Clara with the ele- with the 11th and then with the 12th Doctor. We do see a shift there. We know that the 12th Doctor has this arc from where he is now to where he ends up totally different. I think maybe Moffat had Clara be combative with him so that the audience in effect, would also notice his bad traits so that Moffat then could accentuate and change him and us be able to say, oh, wow, look at how extraordinary his Mm. art was, blah, blah, blah. Maybe Clara was instrumental in that. Yeah, yeah, I like that, that uh, this showrunner knows he needs needs to back up. (laughs) <laughs> to give him a running start at where he wants the end. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of fun. But that goes into long game, good storytelling, good planning, where you know the long game is the Doctor Falls. Right. That's where you're headed to. Yeah. Not, uh, and you start him with deep breath and this and all these others we've talked about where we completely always say how rude and inconsiderate, et cetera, he is. Yeah. I keep thinking back to that moment in the, into the dialect where the, the guy is about to be eaten by antibodies and the doctor, you know, says, quick, swallow this. <laughs> oh, this is going to help him. Yeah. Oh, oh, it didn't. <laughs> no, this is how we're going to follow him. Okay. All right. Wow. So, gentlemen, I have a question about, I want to go back to the mummies real quick. And I have a question for you guys. The doctor had previously encountered mummies in episodes we have reviewed on this podcast, or stories, I should say, on this podcast. What were those, and there were two, what were those two stories that we reviewed on this podcast Mm. since we started that also had mummies. What were they? Te- either one of you. Do the do the robots in uh, Pyramids of Mars count? They're wrapped like mummies, but... Yes, that I am considering okay. them, yes. Very good. What other one would you say had a mummified being? 
or a, 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 an appearance of a mummified being? Huh. Um, uh, 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 <laughs> I'm blanking on the name of the episode. Hang on. Hang on. I, oh, can I do it? Because that's why I even asked this question. Can okay. I say it? Yes. The, the Rings of Abracadabra. Oh, Rings of Akatan, yeah. I, I was thinking of uh, the desiccated master in uh, When the Doctor Goes Back to Gallifrey, um, the Deadly Assassin. Mm. Yeah. Ah. Oh, that's yeah. a good one, but, yeah, but, but I was actually... He, he isn't wrapped talking. up. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to say the Rings of Abracadabra. <laughs> oh. Not a favorite. Not a favorite. Not a favorite. Yeah. All right. Well, but what is a favorite is I get to ask you guys when I get through all of my notes, I get to say, do either of you have any topics that we've not talked about that you wanted to bring up? Clarence Brown, I'll start with you. Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting how they played the doctor and Clara against each other in in the form of sort of a breakup. You know, we're in this thing. They, of course, they hit on all the puns of a breakup of a relationship a romantic relationship i thought it was the way they did it in this episode was really cool and interesting <laughs> and it all fit <laughs> and even the uh and even danny was like uh well he's not your boyfriend <laughs> yeah so i thought all that writing though was really really fun and interesting so i really love that to me those are the best things about the episode uh, and you know there's throwaway bits in this that i that i love it's uh it's funny i don't think of um Stephen Moffat as being a, a huge Agatha Christie fan, but he does set a whole episode here on board the Orient Express, albeit the Orient Express in space. Uh, Agatha, her her second husband was an archaeologist, so she spent a lot of time in the digs. I don't think she ever actually wrote about mummies. Arthur Conan Doyle did, but you know, she she certainly was in that 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 world of uh, the archaeology of the pharaohs and things like that. Um, giving her the opportunity to quip later in life that the great thing about being married to an archaeologist is that the older you get, the more interested in you he becomes. Oh, I think it's funny. Uh, favorite <laughs> bit. <laughs> uh, I, and I, of course, I also love this moment where the doctor opens a cigarette case. And, you know, I think all of us are going just for a second. Wait, the doctor smokes now? But no, it has it has a few jelly babies in it. Of course, I love he did. He didn't even say it, but we saw them. We saw them. So, mm. you know, it, it helps if you know what they look like. Uh, also, um, then he, when he is finally face to face with the mummy, he gets too good to pass up. Are you my mummy? Yeah, he did. Yeah, that was good. That was he good. did. So, love that. And, you know, I couldn't help but kind of chuckle a little bit when they opened up the sarcophagus and... Clara said something to the effect of, it's filled with bubble wrap. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oz9 reference there. See, I'm, I've done good. I have not said those. And see, I'm going to make the entire episode without saying those three, two letters and one word, I mean, one number, this entire episode. So I haven't done it. But Very good. There you go. Bubble wrap. Anyway. Okay. See, I'm doing so good. And I'm doing so good on something else, too, mm. that you guys were probably thinking I was going to do. But yes. I've just not done it. No, so, no. And we're all, uh, we're all delighted. <laughs> okay. So, gentlemen, favorite scene. Favorite scene. Lee Shackelford, what was your favorite scene? I loved Clara and Maisie in the strong room safe vault, whatever. 
closet. It just loved that conversation. And, and, and it, it ends in sort of a traditional, you know, girls in the ladies room kind of conversation. And uh, I just think that's funny because their lives are in danger, but you know, they, they can't do anything about it right now. But Maisie asks Clara, you know, basically, is this your boyfriend? You know, and she says, look, we, we, we knocked about together. We traveled. Now we're stopping. This is a, I don't know, goodbye to the good times. And Maisie says, were all the good times like this? <laughs> and Clara says, <laughs> yeah, now that you mentioned it. <laughs> it's just, I, I, don't know, I just love that, that whole, uh, that whole conversation. And now we, mm-hmm. we really, we care about Maisie more. And so we, we know that when she's threatened next, we re- we're, we're rooting for her. I love that. All right, Clarence, what say you? Uh, my favorite scene is going to be when the doctor actually made the mommy focus on him. Hmm. Uh, very surprising, although he can regenerate. So maybe it's not such a big deal, but who knows if he gets all the, his energy force sucked from him, maybe he doesn't regenerate. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I did like that because the whole time he was so confident in, I'm not sure why, but he was so confident <laughs> that if he could get the mommy to, vote, to focus on him, if I just had him for one minute, as he said, uh, that he could somehow figure it out because he's that brilliant, smart, clever, and all the other good stuff. So I did like the moment when he did switch it on him. I thought it was pretty good. So as an honorable mention, I want to say because you just made me think of it when the doctor was talking to himself, that just is typical something that the doctor does. And I just think thought that was cool. But my favorite scene was the scene on the rocks or the beach or whatever it was called Mm -hmm. on the planet, I should say afterwards. And it's the interchange or the conversation between Clara and the doctor. And it's basically him explaining things to her and again, I think goes into her mindset point of view of where she's starting to evolve as a character. And that's my favorite yeah. scene. I think you're right. So, quote, Clarence, I'll start with you. Favorite quote. What say you? Uh, mine is going to be um, that beach scene you just mentioned when Clara says, so you saved everyone. The doctor says, no, I just saved you and let everyone else suffocate. <laughs> bad joke. Very bad joke. But, <laughs> but still funny. You know, and given things that he's said and done earlier, there's a second where you're thinking, really? Oh, no, of course not. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. That's just my cover story. I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I always love a, uh, a computer that is programmed to keep being cheerful and, and polite, even when things are going completely to hell. That's, a, that's almost a, a trope in uh, science fiction. And so I like uh, Gus, after there's been another horrible death, quietly saying, we apologize for any distress you may have just experienced. Grief counseling is available on request. <laughs> wow. That, that kind of thing that... just always tickles me. Uh, my favorite quote so my, I, I have an honorable mention, and my honorable mention was, you know, Doctor, I can't tell if you're a genius or just incredibly <laughs> arrogant. Yeah. Why not both? Why mm-hmm. not both? So my favorite quote, however, is, you ready? You ready for it? Oh, yeah. My favorite quote is, I am the Doctor, and I will be your victim this evening. <laughs> Are you my mummy? Are you my mummy? Oh, God. Mummy, are you my mummy? 
Ben, eh? Mame? Shoot me now. Clarence, <laughs> what is your rating? Mommy? Mommy. Sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> Final rating. What say ye? Uh, my rating is going to be a four. I liked it. Okay. 4.0. 4.0 what? Oh, man. Let me take the low-hanging fruit. Mummies out of five. There you go. <laughs> okay. Lee, what say ye? I got to go lower. I'm going to go uh, three and a half. Um, I don't know. Uh, Bob haircuts for Jenna Coleman. Mm. 3.5. I like 3.5, and I'm going to stick with 3.5, but I'm going to say 3.5. Are you my mommy? Out of five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, this was fun, as <laughs> always. And, you know, I, I, I originally, let me say this really, really quick. I had originally planned, and even in my notes, I'll, uh, well, I'm not going to take a screenshot, but in my notes, my note says episode info, and then it says, are you mummy on the Orient Express? And then I chose at the last minute to hold it to the end. But there you go. anyway. Are you mummy? <laughs> Let are me say something mommy? before we get it, before we, uh, jump off and go back to our um, mundane lives. Um, I uh, was carrying on about my, uh, in the last episode we recorded about my brush with celebrity, but getting to hang a little bit with Brian Blessed. And that would have been, that would have been a great opportunity to encourage people to go listen to the Disgusting Trek episode where Clarence talks a little bit with Sonequa Martin-Green, for heaven's sake. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, it is, uh, it is, She's in full-on salesman mode, and I mean, I know she's she's got a product to, to promote, but she's she's so eloquent and so poised, you know. I yeah. just I I don't feel like she's reading off a script. She, she, I feel like she really believes in this and cares about it. And honestly, I wouldn't have understood what she was talking about, but uh, Clarence and uh, his brother start off the episode by explaining it a little bit. And I needed that very much. So now I know what they're talking about. Anyway, so this is Star Trek Continuum, right? Yeah, man, thanks. Because that episode is actually, while I do love it, it's one of my heartbreaks. Because there's a whole other six minutes where I am just chatting over Sonequa. And it did get recorded. Oh, my God. It's the worst. (laughs) Hurts so bad. No. Yeah. I've, I've, I've got a couple of those. Yeah. It's just out Life there goes somewhere. Up. Yeah, but but you did uh, then get the rest of it. and uh, Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. 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 And, you know, just as a random comment for anyone listening, if you want to hear the music of Star Trek expertly interjected throughout the episode that just gives you all the Star Trek feels, go watch Strange New Worlds. And listen to the musical score. It is right up there with the level that we know and love with Murray Gold. So coming from me, as much as I praise Murray Gold, that's high Mm. praise to Strange New World's musical score. So True. Jeff Russo. Yes, indeed. I couldn't remember his name, but thank you. Yes, God bless the man. Yes, he's amazing. And you know what? Just I'm going to end it on this. RTD. If you are listening somewhere out there, <laughs> and Murray Gold, if you are listening somewhere out there, 2023, Match Made in Heaven, Doctor Who, Murray Gold, please, 
please, please. Yeah, <laughs> that would be so awesome. We miss you, but, Murray. Huh? We miss you, Murray. Yes, we miss you, Murray. Come back. Come back. And with that, we will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com. Hello, Discussing Who podcast. This is Lady Sean Frise phoning in from aboard the Oz 9. I want you to know that I have the major problems with your reviews. Why must you always be for this doctor person? Huh? The Daleks and the Cybermen are so much better at assassinating than the stupid can't keep the same face doctor. So, better treatment of assassins or I will be cutting you up into little strips of bacon and make you into BLTs for my petite oiseau. What are you doing in here? <laughs> Mon dieu, my petite oiseau. <laughs> I shall return. Really? The things I put up with on this ship. In case the yappity dog forgot to say it, be sure to subscribe to Oz9 wherever you get your favorite podcasts. <laughs>